0: I, I, whenever I preach, I tend to get the passages that deal most with the subject of love, and so we're on point as we're heading into Hebrews 13, where literally the first sentence says, let mutual love continue. Uh, So this is going to be fun. I'm enjoying it. Uh, To get us started, and to kind of pave and prepare the way for where we're going, uh, I want to share a poem many of you this poem, if you have gone through grade school, uh, it's called The Road Not Taken by Robert Frost. <clears throat> and specifically, I want to think about the end couple of lines. The poem goes like this. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not try had warned them really about the same. Is this not working? Can you, you can one this one? Yeah. This one? Yeah, turn, that one off. turn this one off? Okay. Oh, I got the fun. Yes. Hello? 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 We're we're going somewhere. And both that morning equally lay and leaves no step had trodden black. Oh I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how Way leads on to Way, I doubt de- if I ever come back. two lines, one traveled by, and that has made all of the difference. Robert Frost's poem aligns with our text from Hebrews today, giving us a picture of two different paths that we might take in our lives. The poem also prompts a question to us, in the end, which path will we travel? So let's go ahead and turn to Hebrews. Chapter 13, we're going to go from verse 1 to verse 19. A lot of what we'll focus on in those first couple of verses, but just to give a span of uh, what the author is trying to do as they're closing out Hebrews and how this all unfolds, or this all comes together with our summer series, uh, we're going to read 19 verses, and then we'll do a little bit of deep, deep diving from there. All right. Did I stall enough? Did I give you guys time to find it in your digital devices or paper devices? as though you were in prison with them. Those who are being tortured, as though you yourselves were being tortured. Let marriage be in honor by all, Let the marriage bed be kept undefiled, for God will judge foreigners and others. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper and I will be afraid. What can anyone do to me? That's an outlook. Remember you the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of the way of life. Faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He not be carried away by all the kinds of strengthen grace not by reserve them. we alter sheet in the tent have no right for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest a sacrifice for sin are burned outside of the camp therefore Jesus also suffered, Outside the city gate, in order to sat, in order to sanctify the people by his own blood. And this is a fun verse. Remember this verse, 13, uh, Hebrews thirteen thirteen. Let us then go to him outside of the camp and bear the abuse he endured. Here we have the last city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. There's two paths, one we could go on, one we could also go on. Through him then let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of lips that confess his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. Such sacrifices are keeping watch and will give you. Let with joy and not with we are sure that we have a clear conscience to act honorably in all, all the more to do this so that I may be restored to you very soon. Hebrews 13. Through nine. Like I said, we want to kind of uh, focus on these first couple of verses, but I also wanted to give you guys a little bit of a context of where we've been in the letter thus far. Uh, think of it as a very quick review session, right? Uh, so this is written, you guys probably already know this, uh, this is written to a community undergoing persecution and imprisonment and likely facing a temptation to return to old ways, to go to their old ways of life, their old ways of faith. Some who are new converts. Christianity are thinking about going back to Judaism, right? Uh, let's just go back to the way the norm temple practices. Uh, you know, this there seems to be a lot of friction here. Let's go back. There is 13, the author assumes that those who have listened to his arguments so far are still with him. It's kind of like the fact that you're still around, still listening to me, you you probably care uh, what we have to say, right? But anyways, it Hebrews begins with a little bit of statement in Hebrews 1 through 3. They're giving us the big idea. The author is the power different ways, but speak to thing under the has made new in our lives the new possibilities that are able to so whoever the author or the audience the writer wants to communicate a key message Entity very favorite uh, as you probably know from me speaking on multiple occasions uh N.T. It's about Say college life. There's a little bit of a term. Let's get it. Right? It's short and condensed for Let's get it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm learning things too. This is what you do when you're. All right, so anyways, now, now that we have some with us, I don't have for fellowship and transformation. Shipping with the bros, why not? I, that's That sounds fine. Uh, endurance, fellowship, and transformation. Living life with unity. We're talking about building one another up to sharing life experiences with one another. It's not just what do you do you, Checking in, it's uh, actually going, asking the difficult questions, uh, kind of labeling people. Information, is the crisis in our own lives, right? Different surprise. Life can be lived with the bruise so is about endurance. Say endurance. Endurance. It's about right. about transformation. The author offers four comparisons that link Christ with important figures in the Old Testament through their message as well. The second one. Then there is the priests in Melchizedek, Christ the new from the order of priests that like never pass away uh fourth vice covenant yeah. Four to each of these points and insist why we remain faithful to christ uh, if you're kind of wondering wondering more about the structure of hebrews and some of its intricacies and uh, it's really cool. there's even some podcasts a recent uh, series of podcasts that also go on this idea of cities. Mm, really good, check it out. That's my plug for today. ...of Christ, that's one of their goals. Christ is superior to the other ways of life that they could be living. And two, they want to challenge their readers to remain faithful despite persecution. To keep going it almost brings up an opening question for us as we're doing our dive into hebrews today and that is what is the hardship that you face today in faithfully following jesus think for a second you face today in faith following one way want to compromise your convictions that you see or that you've been taught. About the label of Christian in your circle right now. Do you boldly embrace the standing with Christ? That seems to be one of the challenges that we're living in these days. Another question. Are you conflicted with the ways that followers of Jesus are called to live in this world. As we get into the first couple of verses in Hebrews in a little bit, uh, there might be some things where it's kind of tugging on your soul. There are some things where I read Hebrews 13 and I'm thinking to myself, man, I've got more to go. I've got more to grow into. about what it means to read Hebrews 13 as a Christian community today. Having the background ahead of us, let's go and dig in. So if the bulk of the if if the bulk of this letter is this digging into the weeds of the key examples that show Jesus' superiority according to, the, to the community that follow these arguments, especially in chapter two through twelve, then the final chapter is more focused on practice by using the question, how we are today is kind of summing it up. How do we live if we really believe this to be true? The author doing. hey, we're wrapping it up, and you're sitting there with your communion wiper, and you know, they're just speaking, speaking, speaking for like 10 more minutes, just wrapping it up, wrapping it up, Yeah, that's in uh, Hebrews 13. Sorry. I have more to learn. Uh, They are speaking about practices that put us in line with the way of Jesus, and they are continuing to expound upon why these practices matter. The author wants to give us very practical benchmarks for gauging how well, we are living into this Christ-empowered reality. Hebrews 13 concludes with a short series of, let's call them, guideposts. All right? So we're using a little navigating metaphor. Guideposts, it seems like a good one. So if we are followers of Christ, we should prioritize these guideposts for life. Let's get in touch. Let's go hiking. Uh, so, who has ever been hiking? Love it. Love it. We're going to win you guys over. You've got your hands down. We're going to win you over. Don't you worry. Uh, now, next question. Who has gotten lost while hiking? Who's ever gotten lost while hiking? No? No? Okay. So, some of you are just embarrassed. You don't want to say anything. That's fine. Uh, being a guy myself, I can confidently say that I've lost in the woods on more than one occasion. Sometimes of my own doing, sometimes due to the stubbornness of peers. Notice I gave myself a little bit of an out there. Uh, on these say few, seldom occasions, we had intention of following the trail, but at some point along Break in the path, likely in our human path. On a follow the map, but for reason we did not try to find ourselves a Or the trail that we Experience this was incredibly unfortunate. Uh, we were we were in we were we backpacked a hundred plus miles uh, in the wilderness, uh, and we just had a map like didn't have GPS, it wasn't working or anything. Uh, So we're just going off of all that. To make matters worse, we were traveling about 13 miles that day and we got into about where we needed to camp for the night about an hour and a half after nightfall. So it's pitch black up in the mountains. There's no lights whatsoever. And this is our situation. Also imagine you're up on like a mountain ridge. And so to find the precise campsite that you need to be at is kind of a prerequisite. Otherwise you're sleeping on a slope. Let me continue. So it was beginning to drizzle, it was pitch black, and we were convinced that our campsite was on a considerably steep slope near the top of this mountain ridge. It's not ideal. After a while, like an hour or two, we backtracked and found the real campsite after we recognized where we had gone wrong. Our unintentional human errors caused us to become disoriented. We had every intention of following the map because we're tired, it's been 13 miles and we're carrying like a 55 pound pack. Nevertheless, sometimes little things get in the way, we lose track of where we're going and we miss it. What's the lesson? Sometimes we can follow the path marked out for us and mistake others' self-made traveling routes, whether life or otherwise that venture off course for the way we must go on our mapped out journey. And sometimes we can try to follow a path very diligently, looking for all the trailheads and markers, referencing our maps, keeping an eye out for landmarks, and so much more. Yet we miss where we needed to go because we lost focus or forgot to examine our surroundings or we were distracted, or we relied on someone else to know the route for us. And these are some of the challenges that we face as Christians, the things that we face as pilgrims of what we, could, we might say, the heavenly city, right? As we're wandering here on earth, trying to live faithfully to Jesus. All right, now we're about to get into Hebrews 13, and I just want to preface to be vulnerable and genuine. Like I said earlier, as I read Hebrews 13, I feel like I am one of the travelers who has neglected some of the guideposts on this journey. Realistically, I think this is a good place to be, though. If I wasn't challenged by uh, some of these statements, I think I might be lying to myself, if I can just be candidly. There are practices that the author expects followers of the way of Jesus to grow towards. <clears throat> we might not be there, but we are expected to run towards these practices boldly. Right. This is a race, of course, that I want to run with you all <clears throat> as a fellow pilgrim, as a fellow journey person. Uh, that's going towards this heavenly city, right the place that we all want to be going towards. so the author of Hebrews has a very simple thesis. It's right there in verse 1. Let mutual love continue. This central message also answers a question that we have uh, as we read on. What should we do while we are looking for the heavenly city that is to come? So as as we dig into this, listen for how these practices transfer into our world today. Just see if you can make some connections. When the author imagines this mutual love growing within the community, they point to a few examples. These include showing hospitality to strangers, remembering those who are in prison, and they also give us a note on posture too. Uh, We should do this as though we were in prison with them. And we can think about historical persecution here, and maybe in the spirit of trying to make connections to today, We can remember persons who have been imprisoned uh, for, well, I guess think historically or even today, uh, who are imprisoned for their witness, missionaries or otherwise. Uh, But we can also think about our current incarceration system, remembering those who are removed from society, out of sight and out of mind, uh, in prisons that we can't see, and the responsibility that we have to remember them and their souls. And in the same strand of thought, we can remember those who are being tortured, including uh, another note on posture, as though we ourselves are being tortured with them, uh, which communicates, it communicates a deep sense of what it means to bear one another's burdens. If we can think t- to uh, Galatians 6.2, it says, bear one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Right. So much can be remedied if we uh, had this posture of wanting to journey alongside of other people. They also begin to talk about honoring marriage and not to defile the marriage bed. Uh, and they put a note in there about God's judgment. Uh, and then they begin to talk about living a content life that is free from the love of money. Now, how do these? How, how, does, how does love figure into these examples? We'll first begin with hospitality. So we're gonna go through the list. Uh, with hosp- hospitality, we go out of our way to care for the needs of others. We can exercise hospitality to strangers as much as we can exercise hospitality to our neighbors who are three doors down personally i love the idea of hospitality i think it's great i think it's rich but sometimes maybe more than sometimes honestly i find this hard to practice sometimes it's because of my own busyness that i fill and pract- like pack my schedule and then actually being able to look and see the needs of other people it becomes increasingly difficult or maybe the habit of self-preservation these things don't really help us live out hospitality but this is also a practice that we need today especially if we want to establish a sense of community in the places that we live where we work and where we spend our time and i know this i think you know this People, all people, need this sense of belonging. I need this sense of belonging. To reach out to others and to do it well, whether it entails uh, journeying with others or sitting with them for an evening over dinner, uh, requires that we have love in our hearts. Hmm. To do it well, we need this love in our hearts. As the author of Hebrews imagines, we specifically need Christ's love in our hearts, overflowing. Overflowing. In the backdrop of Hebrews, the author notes uh, opposition wreaking havoc on these Christians and discouraging them from their faith. The author wants to strengthen them from their temptation or turning away, right? We covered this. But the author mentioned, well, the author mentions those in prison and being tortured and that we should remember them as if their experiences are our own. This task at hand is empathy. Everybody say empathy. 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 Okay. To do empathy well requires that we have a genuine love for our neighbor. Right? We know empathy is, you know, entails like seeking to understand or listening to understand, right? But to do this, we have to have some sort of disposition within our hearts that moves us to want to do this in the first place, right? So to do empathy well requires that we have a genuine love for our neighbor and while we might be tempted to localize our empathy to those who are like us and undergoing hardships uh, we know that the definition of neighbor is much more broader in scripture it includes the people who are other than us the people that we might not like the people that you know despite our differences they need it most and we need to walk with them right uh You think so, Some of uh, Jesus' parables, uh, uh, the Good Samaritan, right? The people who are like the person don't stop by, but the person who does stop is actually considered a, a very other wise person, right? And they go out of their way, they do it. And this is the model that Jesus wants us to live into. So we can think about this, uh, but why not think about those who are incarcerated in jails too? Those who are undergoing difficult in lives, in their lives in refugee camps right now they're still in their neighbors those who are experiencing displacement by wars or natural disasters we think about hawaii too right people who are undergoing that sort of hardship Uh, and those who are experiencing oppression from an institution or 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 even a relationship but they just can't get out right We're called to go out of our way to bear one another's burdens, even if it wasn't originally our fault. So with that, we go where Jesus would go. Next up, love is present in the author's exhortation to marriage and to not defile the marriage bed. Uh, It probably does not take much effort to recognize that our world seems to cheapen the idea of marriage. Almost reducing it to an agreement to live together instead of a deeply affectionate and unwavering bond and intentional outlet for pursuing Christ's mission in a different way. Notice that uh, marriage is not a requirement for the Christian life, though. You can still be single and live a full and missional life, but embodying Christ's sacrificial love is a requirement. This outpouring kind of love, or what we would say kenosis in Greek, appears in Ephesians 5, uh, verses 25 through 33. Uh, And the message paraphrased translation puts it this way. I think we have some slides for it, too, if you want to follow along. It says, Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving and not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her. Dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness, and this is how husbands ought to treat their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. No one abuses his own body, does he? No, he feeds and pampers it. That's how Christ treats us, the church, since we are a part of his body. And this is why a man leaves father and mother and cherishes his wife. No longer two, they become one flesh. This is a huge mystery and I don't pretend to understand it all. What is clearest to me is the way that Christ treats the church. And this provides a good picture of how each husband is to treat his wife loving himself and loving her and how each wife is to honor the husband. But notice notice the big picture. Right. Uh, And this is one of the big things that the author of uh, Ephesians wanted to get across is talking about Christ's love, how it's Christ's love that becomes the example for each and every one of us to live into. Right. This outpouring uh, is something that is very special and he uses the marriage uh, metaphor, but it's supposed to really take root in all of our hearts as well. So as Christians, we have a certain way of demonstrating our love in marriage. Uh, obviously, I cannot speak from experience. I only got engaged two weeks ago, so uh, we'll, we'll lean into that at some point. Uh, anyways, notice the source. Who is our example and our source for the special sort of love? It is Christ. To maintain this posture of honor and to uphold marriage as though it ought to be, we need Christ's life and love within us. Also, has anyone noticed a little theme so far as we keep going through these points? Oh, there's love, but, but who's behind this love? Jesus. Good church answer. It works for us today. <laughs> Woo! All right. Finally, let's see if you can see if the theme continues. Uh, Finally, the author exhorts us as the Christian community to let mutual love continue in the way we approach money. Why would the author place money on this list is something that I was wondering. Uh, Let's look at 1 Timothy 6.10. I don't know if this is a slide, but I'll share it to you anyways. It's pretty short. Uh, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from their faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Why is it on the list? Because this is one of the things that can get under our skin, that can reorient our priorities, and can take us away from the (laughs) life that God wants us to live. Right? Money can threaten our faith, becoming something that we idolize. Uh, and place our trust in instead of living in the confident disposition of Hebrews 13, where our hearts sing, The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can anyone do to me? Because our God will not leave us or forsake us. When we are shaped by Christ's presence in our lives, we have a confidence that is distinct from this world and a properly ordered sense of passion and love. We don't let the little things get in our way. We have this commitment to a deep and abiding commitment to Christ and a commitment to love our neighbors. So in all of this, the author underscores their goal once again. Christ is superior and transforms our way of living. Going back to the metaphor, the attentive Jesus follower is like a hiker who diligently and faithfully follows their map, even when it seems countercultural, taking the path that requires their faith in Jesus. Sometimes this way of living can feel like trailblazing, though. Anyone can empathize with that? Sometimes this way of life can feel like trailblazing a new path, where taking the road less traveled feels like taking that path that is overridden with shrubs and undergrowth and it can feel like we're taking a counterintuitive time, a, a counterintuitive path at times, or a path that seems less safe. But it's in those situations we have to remember who is traveling with us and who is our guide. We can follow this path because we know that Christ goes before us. In fact, this is the next big point that the author of Hebrews wants to take with us. The route Jesus took led him outside of the city. So we should also go to him outside of the city, outside of the the camp. Uh, Bible, Bible scholar Thomas Long says in his commentary on the Hebrews, uh, the trouble of, sci- of the Sinai routes. he's imagining there's two different routes that we can use for this metaphor. There's the Sinai route, which looks like the well-paved one, the one that the whole Jewish world is taking. And then there is the Zion route. The Zion is uh, talking about the heavenly city. Sometimes we think about Jerusalem or the new Jerusalem, right? So we have the old path, the path that's well-paved, and we have the new path, the one that looks a little uh, less traveled. Maybe, maybe not as reliable. But we get to this idea of trust. He says, the trouble of the Sinai route, back to the mountain in the Old Testament, is being the path people take who rely on their own strength in the triumph of Zion. In contrast, the triumph of the Zion route is the the path people take who rely on Christ's guidance who goes before us. So we're either going towards the old ritual practices, going back to the norms, or we're going with Christ as our leader. The two paths are presented to our senses and we must choose. The path of the world, which is Sinai, or the path of Christ, which is Zion. What's behind the schema? Well, let's think back to Hebrews 12. Uh, the author gives us two settings to guide our contemplation, Sinai and Jerusalem. This is the final great contrast in a letter of contrasts, says Wright. There's contrast everywhere and this is like the last big one. In Hebrews, Sinai represents the place where the law was given, and Jerusalem represents the heavenly Jerusalem, the ultimate city where the followers of the way of Jesus are already citizens. Catch that? We are already citizens. If you've uh, if you've found your life in Christ, you are walking with Him. You are citizens of this heavenly city. But what does that mean? We're, we we're not actually residing there. What are we then? Uh, tr- Christian tradition would call us pilgrims. We're kind of wandering in a foreign land as we are waiting to get back to our true home. Think of that, the idea of being a pilgrim, wandering. Anyways, uh, Wright says, this is the city that cannot be shaken. He's looking at uh, chapter 12, verse 27. And then he says, uh, and then to reflect on it is to have one's resolve stiffened and one's heart warmed for gratitude and worship. Right? So there's not only the commitment to the city, but what it does to us as we follow it. There's even more Old Testament background if you want to look into uh, Isaiah. They have some roots of this idea in the first chapter. Uh, they also kind of bring it up in chapter 60. If you want to like put that in your sermon notes, I wasn't going to go fully into it because you know, you know uh, we'll, we'll save it for another time. Uh, but you can also look at the psalmist, Psalm 48. The psalmist describes this place uh, as the city of the great king which is God's city. Uh, And he invites us to marvel at the city and what it stands for uh, and so much more. Okay, so we have this idea really emerging from the Hebrew scriptures, this idea of there being two cities, the one where uh, it represents this world and then the city that represents uh, who Christians are supposed to belong to, the city that we expect and we wait for. Who else talks about these two places? Uh, So St. Augustine is, one of the most iconic early church fathers and one of uh, his most famous pieces is called the city of god or uh, there's the more technical version but anyways the city of god and if you want to sound a fan- little uh, it's called de civitas Dei. if you want to sound fancy you, can, you can keep that that's for you uh, augustine's big idea for writing the city of god is to talk about the spiritual reality of being between two cities the city of god and the city of this world These two cities represent distinct spiritual realities. There's the easy path that we might say, which represents the world overtaken by sin and built on the foundation of our own efforts. Then there's the hard path that represents God's heavenly city and the difficulties that we might experience through the backlash against society. Remember the beginning of the letter to the Hebrews, the author addresses folks who are being persecuted and imprisoned for their faith and allegiance to Christ. Uh, so I think I have a quote up here if you want to follow along. Yep, that's the one. For the city of the saints is on high, even though it brings forth citizens here below, in whom it is on pilgrimage until the time of its kingdom arrives, right? So we have the city, uh, where we belong to the community of saints scattered throughout the ages and the world, right? Um and we are partaking in that reality right now. So one, we have this idea of two cities. Uh, If we scroll to the next one. Aha. But there's something more about just being two cities, right? There being the easy path and the hard path, and one being the world, one being uh, the city of God. And that's that these two cities have two different types of loves, okay? So Augustine says, but the life that is both happy and eternal will also or will have a love and a gladness that are not only right, but also assured. And it will have no fear or grief at all. Right. So we're, this is this is what we're looking towards, uh, this life where we will not have fear. where we? We'll, we will have no pain. Okay. So there's the eschatological city. Uh, let's go down to the new, next one. And there we go. Here's the iconic line. You essentially read like 800 pages, and then you get to this one paragraph, and this is like the one that everyone loves to quote. Uh, it's I, I'm a nerd, so I like reading it anyways. But still, this is this is the big one. If you if you want to take this one, get a screenshot. Get some good background there. <clears throat> yeah, here we go. Uh, two loves then, two loves then, have made two cities. We're not just talking about physical landmarks now. Now we're talking about uh, quality landmarks. Two different types of love. Two loves then have made two cities. Love of self, even to the point of contempt for God, made the earthly city. And love of God, even to the point of contempt for self, made the heavenly city. Thus the former glorifies in itself, and the latter glorifies in the Lord. The former seeks its glory from men, but the latter finds its highest glory in God, the witness of our conscience. The former lifts up its head in its own glory. The latter says to its God, my glory in the one who lifts up my head. In the former, the lust for dominion dominates both its princes and nations and its subjugates. But in the latter, both leaders and followers serve one another in love. The leaders by their counsel, the followers by their obedience. The former, its own strength displayed in men of power, the latter says to its God, I love you, O Lord, my strength. Talk about some more contrasts. Mm -hmm. There are two ways that we can approach love. There is the self-love, the uh, almost self-empowering, the vain love. But then there is the mutual love, the love that we have in a community, the love that we have when Jesus reorients our desires. So for this present cultural moment, we are living in the murky middle. The two cities or the two paths inhabit similar spaces right now. And we cannot live wholly in one or the other. But there will be a time when we will wholly belong to one or the other. When we speak of Christ uh, initiating his rule and reign on earth, we really do mean that Christ sent out his followers to be the light and to bring others into this good news, right? We are still experiencing parts of this heavenly city, of God's city, right? Uh, someone used this uh, metaphor a couple of weeks ago and it, it really helped me think about uh, the times that we're living in and maybe it helps you think about it too uh, they use this metaphor of a court trial because there seems to be like a lot of that sort of language in Scripture uh, and the way that they thought about this was that on the cross with Jesus uh, Jesus's death and resurrection right this is the conviction of the devil right it's saying hey you are guilty you are defeated this is over and then we are looking forward to the time of the sentencing when actually death is defeated when we are living in that true freedom and right now we're in the time between the conviction and that sentencing so until then the church's leaders are setting an example to follow but ultimately all things come back to jesus the messiah and this leads to encouragement to continue in the faith instead of going back to the place that looks safe and secure. And as the benediction will reveal the source of our ability to live into these day-to-day practices in Jesus who will make you complete in every good work so that you may do his will. Right. Jesus loves us. Or Jesus love in us transforms the way that we live in the world. He will transform the way that we live in the world. Uh, I'm going to point to one one last slide. Uh, It's from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He gives us some valuable ways of thinking about living in the world today. So it says, the Christian community thus lives its own life in the midst of the world, continually bearing witness in all that it is and does, that the present form of this world is passing away, that the time has grown short, and that the Lord is near. The prospect is caused for great joy to the church community. The world becomes too confining. All its hopes and dreams are set on the Lord's return. I want to I give you guys time to just like think and reflect real quick. Imagine the world as you are experiencing it on a day-to-day basis right now. Imagine, imagine your world. Maybe maybe close your eyes to help, to help foster this. What do you see? When you think of this idea of the world, what do you see? Continue thinking if you need to. I want to ask you another question. What is the world doing that is passing away? You have this idea of something passing away. It not being able to stand because it's not built on a solid foundation. What What is it that's passing away? Okay, with this picture now, what do you think will remain as the Lord draws us near? Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's a practice. I don't know, maybe it's a relationship. What do you think will remain as the Lord draws us near? Now before we move on, let's wonder, why might this breaking away be a great joy to the followers of Jesus? One author says, that prospect is a cause for great joy to the church community the world becomes too confining. All its hopes and dreams are set on the Lord's return. Why might this be a great joy to of Jesus? <clears throat> okay, next slide. Uh, the community members, Bonhoeffer says, still walk in the flesh, but their eyes are turned to heaven. From whence shall return the one whom they await? Here on earth, the church community lives in a foreign land. It is a colony of strangers far away from home, a community of foreigners enjoying the hospitality of the host country in which they live, obeying its laws, honoring its authorities. With gratitude, it makes use of what is needed to sustain the body and other areas of earthly life. In all things, the church community provides itself or it proves itself to be honorable, just, chaste, gentle, quiet, willing to serve. The church community demonstrates the love of its Lord to all people, but especially for those of the family of faith. Continuing our little exercise. First, let's imagine this landscape together as we read. Right? This idea of what it looks like to live in the world as pilgrims. And now, what feelings does this image bring up for you? As you think, of, as you think about this, what images come to your mind? What, feel, what feelings come up as you think about this? Maybe what word or phrase or idea sits with you from this little paragraph the most? Bonhoeffer wants us to picture how scripture wants us to walk in the world as we passionately pursue Christ with others. And this is walking in love and humility. Final slide, and then like the author of Hebrews, I, I promise I am wrapping up. In suffering, the church community is patient and joyful, taking pride in its tribulation. The church community lives its own life subject to a foreign authority and foreign justice. The church community prays for all earthly authority, thus rendering the authority the best service it can offer. But the church community is merely passing through its host country. Let me say that again. The church community is merely passing through its host country. At any moment, it may receive the signal to move on. Then the church community will break camp, leaving behind all worldly friends and relatives and following only the voice of the one who has called it. Who can guess who that voice is? Got it. The church community leaves the foreign country and moves onward towards its heavenly home. My question to you, coming from the author of Hebrews, are you ready to continue persevering on this journey? Are you ready to continue persevering on this journey? Like the author of Hebrews, I want to echo their exhortations, which is this, keep going, keep going. This life is worth it and while it may be difficult and full of friction, this pathway, this pilgrimage is the place where we encounter transformative love that impacts and rebuilds ourselves, our families, our communities, and much more. And an unexplainable joy comes from this as well, that encourages our walk with Christ and others. It brings, it brings unity in our Christ-centered communities. It gives us confidence and assurance to continue onward and more. The reason we can continue on this journey is because our hope is not fixed on the things of this world, but the things that are above. We're not focused on our strength, but on Jesus's strength. And we know that ultimately we are not home yet. And the reason we are still here is that there is still work to be done so that others might experience this kind of love. So, last word. Church, Love Chapel Hill. Let mutual love continue. Let's get after it together. So on the night that Christ ate at the table with this community of pilgrims, he took bread and said, this is my body broken for you. This is my body broken for you. And then soon, to those who would partake in the fullness of Christ's life, Undergoing the hardships of following Christ, but also the transformative love and explainable joy that comes from this awesome relationship, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant. Pour it out for you for the forgiveness of sins. This is the real way to live. And then he said, drink this in remembrance family, I want to invite you to the table this morning uh, as we continue to run the race with Christ. Uh, in a moment, we're going to have folks, I think, just kind of come as you will. We'll start with the front couple of rows. We'll filter on through, uh, and then we'll come back on the other side. Once again, church, as you uh, take communion this morning, maybe think to yourself, what does it look like for me on this race, on this journey to let mutual love continue Um, in my relationships, in the way that I think about my world,